to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about money. In, money. Um, <laughs> well, there are a lot of great songs yeah, about Yeah, is that money. the Santana song? Money, or? money, money, money. Tons of songs about it. Money. I wish we could use them here instead of you guys having to listen to us. But Well, but then we'd have to pay somebody. A lot of money. <laughs> if we can sing them, then people could pay us. Oh, or still no. <laughs> still a bad idea. What about money? Uh, we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about money. Like, what is the meaning of money? And how should a Christian view it? And what does it mean to us? Mm-hmm. Um, what did God have in mind uh, about how we should look at money? Just kind of all things money from the sense of its nature. Yeah. Uh, its ability to change people. It seems unique for me. I've always noticed it seems unique among the biblical elements that it is, there are a lot of passages that are very black and white about it and say it's, it can be very destructive. And then you have, um, Joseph of Arimathea who comes in and he's just a rich, just a rich dude. Follower. And he, uh, he buries Jesus. Yeah. So it, it, there's a lot of, yeah, this is the part of the conversation is, is money good? Is it bad? Is it amoral? Is it a thing? Mm-hmm. Is it a spirit? And is it, is it just a tool? I'm here to learn. So. Uh, Let's just start off with a Trump quote since he's no longer our president. (laughs) He said, people who say money can't buy happiness just don't know where to shop. Yeah, there you go. That's one of my favorite quotes. (laughs) (laughs) In an ironic sense? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, that could be a preview of where we're going with this if you were like, I agree with that 100%. All right. But before we dive into all that, it is uh, joke or story time. And John, it is your week. Yes. And I have a story. A uh, very recent one. This very recently happened. Um, I drive a uh, 2002 Toyota Tacoma. Uh, it's really nice. I love it. If we got it, it had, at the time, 75,000 miles on it. And it's a 2002. And now it's up to like 105,000. But still. Yeah, that's really low for that year model. Yeah. I call it my time machine or a time capsule car is what I call it. Wow. Um, anyway, it had a leak in the passenger side. Uh, in, in the cab on the floorboard on the passenger side. And there's a couple reasons this could happen where originally I thought it was a clogged uh, uh, condenser, uh, AC condenser, um, basically exhaust drain, drain, drain tube, yeah, or drain tube. Yeah. Um, could have been a number of things. And I was, I put it off for a very long time. That's the bummer of the story is I, is it was <laughs> like wet on the floorboard for like a year. Oh, wow. Like a long time. And, uh, and then, you know, you go through the rainy season in the summer, it dries out. And I was like, hey, I'm just. It's fixed. It's fixed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a Festivus miracle. Yeah. Wow. And then it starts pouring again and it's it's gross. So uh, I was like, you and know. Now I got to say, it's not just a drip. Uh, this thing was flooding. Like when you put your feet down on that side of the car. Water, no, water would never come up out of the carpet like that. No? No. It was always just wet. Okay. And so, uh, turns out this is a Tacoma thing. People, there were forums all at, well, first off, there's forums de- dedicated to Tacomas all over the internet, which it's is a it. beloved vehicle. It's a tight tribe. Yeah. And I'm very happy with this one. And, uh, uh, 
so people all over there, there were posts, you know, the infamous people were calling it the passenger floor, the wet passenger floor. Oh, wow. And the thing is, there's many different things that could cause it. I thought it was this condenser thing. It wasn't that. Um, some one person reported that whenever they had a floor mat in their floorboard on the passenger side, it would get wet. And whenever they took it out, it would be dry. The ground would be dry. <laughs> he called it a leaking floor mat. It's like uh, it's like uh, um, the 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 guy in the Old Testament, Gideon. Oh yeah, yeah. It's wet on the wet on the ground, but not on the not on the fleece. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe that <laughs> person would be wet magic. on the fleece, but not on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> So I was, I was, you know, after I tried this condensing thing, because that one is just you, you uh, unclog the drain sure. tube and you're done. Yeah. And when it wasn't that, I was like, well, oh no, because the only other option was that it's an actual leak in the uh, um, the firewall area of the cab, like so, in between spot welds or something. Yeah. And the reason, like, it, thank goodness, it wasn't coming through like a window. Like nothing else in this whole truck was wet at all. And so. Uh, uh, when I found out it was that, you know, that's a big, oh, no. Because then you have to find this thing. You have to take parts out. You have to seal it with something. And uh, so then, you know, the and the only other bummer is that if you took this thing to a shop, it could take them as much time as it takes you, and then you have to pay them for it. it it's just a, it's much more of a headache. But I don't do a whole lot of car stuff. Uh, but me, with a lot of help from my dad, and the, really, I, I want to just clarify this. I, mm-hmm. I held tools. I mean, I took the carpets out, but you you researched this. You knew exactly what your plan of attack was, and you went for it. You know, it took two hands to do a couple of things, mm-hmm. and I poured water into the, uh, into the top so you could see where it's coming out of. But, I mean, this was your job. You, you did it. It was, it was you start to finish. I'm really proud of that. Well, I appreciate it. So this was one of my, maybe my only complete auto project that wasn't replacing a battery or a headlight or something like right, that. Right, right. Uh, and if anyone's interested, if anyone's not, just zone off a bit. This will be about one minute long. I took out, we took out the, the gutter railing, on the, like the grill on top of where your uh, um, wipers are. Wipers are. Took off the wipers. Uh, took out the wiper arms. And the motor. Took out the motor and then sprayed sealant all the through. The wiper motor, not the entire motor. Yes, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> it was just occurred to me. It was not that yeah. intense. Yeah, just the wiper <laughs> motor. Pardon. Uh, sprayed some sealant down the, the gutter to uh, seal this uh, pinch weld that runs the length of the gutter, which in Tacoma's is notoriously not um, watertight. Uh, and then in the cab, found where the water was coming through uh, the actual cab wall and sealed it there as well. Uh, I used some off-brand flex tape. It's, I think it's called Flex Seal. It uh, wasn't tape. It was a spray out of a bottle. Right, Flex Tape brand. Yeah, so yeah. they have Flex Seal. Yeah. So it was it was some off-brand version of that. One spray, one like putty, and uh, and it worked. And to emphasize the problem, people on the forums were saying that water would drip in after about five minutes of having a hose on your your windshield. <laughs> they put a hose on the windshield, and five minutes later, they see little drips. My dad pours a pitcher of water on that. Not even a pitcher. I mean, I had I used a pitcher, but it was yeah. less than a coffee cup worth of water. And immediate uh, uh, stream, like a little gusher. Stream. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my, this was way worse than, than normal. <laughs> so but anyway, we sealed it on both ends, and it's been dry since. And we've had drier weather, which helps dry out the cab, which is nice. Now I finally have dry carpets in the cab. And that's the end of it. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you were hesitant to tell the story because it felt like bragging, but this is really... If you could think of two completely incompetent mechanics <laughs> figuring out a car problem and taking the car 
you know, moderately apart, uh, fixing this thing, putting it back together. Uh, to us, we just built an Egyptian pyramid. Yeah, we felt like the, the NASA scientists basically <laughs> built uh, the Apollo uh, uh, shuttles. But to our credit, we did not walk into the house and beat our chest in front of our wives. It's and, true. And we didn't uh, we take do pictures that and tell all of our friends. We, we just, do it on our podcast. We just did it on a podcast, yeah. Uh, sour note, it was the day that the Seahawks lost their first playoff game, first and only playoff game of the season. Uh, that sucked. So that was actually – we came in and took a break to watch the game, and then it was – I was thrilled to have something to do to not to think about how stupid that right, game was. So right. that part was good. But. Yeah. All right, let's talk about money, John. Let me ask you this. If I were to ask you, what's the meaning of money? What's your answer to that question? And you – that's how you kind of floated the idea to me, and I've never – I spent a lot of time thinking about abstract stuff. I've never once had that thought in my entire life. Like, what's the, the meaning? You never thought, what money. is the meaning of money? Yeah. And uh, maybe, I think I think that says something about how obtuse I can be, because <laughs> money is front and center in, you know, our daily um, existence, in, in, in actually living. That's like Well, your, in your defense, you know, it, it might be like asking you, what's the meaning of an automobile? Mm, sure, because it's a thing that you use, but, you, but you've never thought deeply about its purpose. But it's an equally rich question because when you start to think about it, it's oh, I could talk. You know, there's all kinds of stuff to say about that automobile. You know, freedom and and uh, uh, agency, yeah, and money. And it's a good example because because those are kind of the same things that come to mind with money. It's uh, a release from worry in a lot of ways. Okay, so now you're talking about you personally. Mm-hmm. Talk some more about that. What money means to you? Yeah, so it would be um, a security front mm-hmm. center, mm-hmm. Um, and it's tough for me to just stick with me because I think about I think about the the public consciousness view to money. Like mm-hmm. when you think about when someone wins the lottery, first thing they do is they quit their job more yeah. often than not, right? Because uh, it means that you don't have to do things you don't want to do anymore. Because mm-hmm. you only do things you don't want to do because you have to. And with you know, money means you don't have to do certain. Which things is an anymore. interesting thing about work because some people quit jobs they love. Really? Uh, yeah. And I remember when the Dallas Mavericks basketball team was an expansion team. It was their first year to have a team. Their first coach they hired was Dick Mata. And um, I was listening to Dick on was a, a basketball team. Yeah, yeah. The Dallas Mavericks. And I was living in Dallas at the time. I was a young, young guy. Um, anyway, uh, I remember in, in his interview, he was saying he, he used the lottery as an example. He said, because they said, what's the hardest part about coaching? these professional NBA athletes. Yeah. And he said, well, they signed these big contracts and they just won the lottery. And what do, what does everybody do when they just win the lottery? <laughs> they quit working. Yeah. And I have to inspire these guys to work harder when even, they're making more money than they've ever had in their right. lives. And they have no financial need. Yeah. So, um, so for you, and I think for lots of people, money is, um, it's security, it's freedom. Mm-hmm. And if I had a ton of it, I would be completely free and I would leave anything that burdens me. <laughs> that's the, that's the idea. That's the illusion. Yeah. There's a story that this uh, reminds me of back in, I forget the year, probably about five years ago or so now time flies, uh, uh through the college years for some reason for me, half the things that I think happened two years ago were like when I was in high school <laughs> as ridiculous, but uh, the guy who made Minecraft, this guy's name is uh, Marcus Persons, mm. really, really classic, stereotypical nerd with the the, the fedora that he always wears and oh like my. the, the uh, patchy kind of neck beard, at least at the time. He sold Minecraft to Microsoft for like $2 billion. Oh, man. Maybe, maybe one and change. 
And it was, you know, he owned the company Mojang that made Minecraft. So he got the the lion's share of of over a billion dollars for his Wow. His what is a, game. And how old was he? Uh, he was b- probably early 30s at that time. What does a guy in his early 30s do if he just got a billion dollars? Well, exactly. So people are like, well, this guy's living the nerd dream. And he, <laughs> there was an article. He got interviewed by Esquire or something like a year later. And he was just talking about how depressed he was and how much he, like, he was at parties with, like, Selena Gomez. And he's like, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah. Just, he just had no friends and he was hating life. Wow. And, it's, and it has no no direction now. You yeah. Know? He was you, making Minecraft because he's on a mission of fun and mm-hmm. and entrepreneur. and Yeah. And Microsoft has taken the Minecraft brand and just gone to town with it. They're obviously enjoying great success with it. So. It's really interesting because, and that's a, that's a classic story. The guy gets everything he wanted, and then he's depressed. You know, that's a kind well, of classic. Thing. Over seventy percent of professional, let's just the stat I know for sure is the NFL. Over seventy percent of NFL football players are bankrupt within five years of their retirement from the league. Man, so uh, it's a lot about I don't I never had this kind of money. Mm-hmm. Now I'm supposed to manage it, and there's this uh, expectation of living a certain caliber of lifestyle. Right, as a professional Driving athlete, certain cars, right, yeah. Uh, same thing, if you ever read a book called The Millionaire Next Door, uh, they talk about the typical millionaires in America, and they are not what you think they are. The people who look like millionaires who live in these giant gated communities with these big homes mm-hmm. are hocked to the gills and don't have a net worth of a million dollars. So uh, money, it does, you're, you're also tempted to keep up with the Joneses. Sure. Um, that's one of those... Uh, uh, Financial Peace University sayings. Oh, yeah. The Joneses are broke. The Joneses are broke. Don't keep up with them. <laughs> what does it mean to you, money? Well, um, my biggest answer to that is freedom. It's mm-hmm. uh, op- it's options, opportunities. Sure. So I can help people. I can, uh, you know, I at first when I started, I, I didn't have any level of financial freedom until I was past 40. Because just with the amount of responsibilities you had and uh, the low, I was in a low paying career. Mm-hmm. Uh, ministry is usually a very low paying career. Sure. Uh, I had a lot of kids. And so, um, you know, there was not a ton of extra. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What was your salary in Montana? And you had $32,000 a year and with I had seven, seven, to feed. seven people in the family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, what I discovered is that when I started to have extra money, it added stress, not freedom. Hmm. I was more worried about money when I had some. <laughs> really? It was so weird. And because was that because you had more car payments? and st- No, because stuff, I, was, I was like, well, what if I do the wrong thing with it? What am I supposed to do with it? And gotcha. how, how these were the kind of questions I wrestled with, especially as a pastor. Um, how affluent of a lifestyle should a pastor live, no matter yeah. how much money he makes? Yeah. And how much is he supposed to give away? And should I be, should I live a, a very low income lifestyle out of um, some discipline or example? Or, or oughtness. Or, oughtness. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, was, that was a problem. But for me, money is freedom. I can help my kids. I can help other people. Uh, I love uh once we got to the place where we made some real commitments to spending less money than we made and then having an, having extra where we could actually plan for retirement and not be a burden to our kids in our old age mm-hmm. um, and give more, um, do more, have family vacations, 
you know, like we have had before. So money to me is just options. I get lots of options. Sure. And so when you think the the meaning of money um, or, or why it would have so much, walk me through the biblical significance of it. Because there's, you know, Jesus talked more about money than, than what, uh, heaven and hell together combined or, or just individually or? Yeah, he talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Combined. Uh, over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Uh, the only subject he talked more about than money and possessions is love. Hmm. So uh, it's a big deal. It, apparently, <laughs> apparently Jesus thinks it's a uh, fraught with landmines mm-hmm. and that it has the power to change you. You know, like if I, if I gave you uh, a truckload of rocks, <laughs> it's sure. just a truckload of rocks. Yeah. But if I give you a truckload of bills, dollar bills, it's going to change you. Yeah. And why is that? Why does money change people? And there are those rare people who uh, go through life modestly, then they accumulate great wealth, but they never do change who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of Rick Warren. Um, for some people, he's a controversial pastor. To me, he's not. But, uh, you know, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which is the second best selling book in the history of America. Dang. Only to the Bible. <laughs> Jeez. And so he's clearly made, you know, ridiculous money from that. And what he did, he still drives a, a 1998 Ford pickup truck. Mm-hmm. He still lives in the same house. He paid back, Saddleback, every dollar they had ever paid him in wages. That's his church. Yep. And he works there. Saddleback, for, that's a... That's the, it's the area of California they were in. Gotcha. And um, he paid back all the wages he'd ever gotten, and he works for free. Dang. Um, so, you know, you can do things like that right. when you have money, and that's kind of exciting. But there must be, I mean, there has to be a flip side of that for it to be so touchy with, with Jesus specifically feeling the need to, to mention it this many times. Yeah. There's a guy named Richard Foster wrote a book called Money, Sex, and Power. Those do seem to be the three things that can derail us completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we have power or when we are subjected to someone who has power, um, sex and sexuality is a is a hugely complicated part of our identity mm-hmm. and gets distorted so super easily. And then money. So those three things are, um, they are fraught with challenges. So when we think about some of the money uh, verses in the Bible, and it does, uh, it's, it's interesting that there is a, um, a word used um, in many of the verses uh that Jesus spoke sure um, uses the word mammon. Hmm. Now that's not just simply money as a thing. Um, here's the definition of mammon wealth regarded as an evil influence or a false object of worship and devotion. Um, it was taken by medieval writers as the name of the devil of covetousness. Whoa. So, um, Jesus says in Matthew 6, you cannot serve both God and money. Mm-hmm. And the root word there is mammona. So it's the mammon word, which uh, means in Aramaic, wealth and riches with a strongly negative connotation. So worldly wealth sure, and riches. So um, the question, you know, the first question really is, is money neutral or is it good or is it bad? Right. And so um, right now, even in our culture, there are people who um 
particularly millennials, who say no human being should have this much money Mm -hmm. because there are some people in the world just with extraordinary wealth. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, it's an, it's a non-American idea that you would put a cap on somebody's (laughs) capacity to earn. Sure. But there is a movement among millennials to, to inherently distrust or disapprove of a person of a certain, uh, wealth level. Yeah. I hear them talked about negatively uh, pretty consistently from uh, millennials. Would you say that's true? Oh, yeah. I mean, like the the not even the 1%, like the, the 1% of the 1%. Like right. The elite and, wealth. The, yeah, like like uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. um, you know, Elon Musk, just the um, levels of wealth that, that, frankly, I can't really conceptual, They're conceptualize. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. what you think... Part of it is, you know, I think of it like a like basically like a comic book cartoon villain. Like that's that's the level of authority or or power that you guys have. So you think, uh, hey, Jeff Bezos, just pay off all our student loans. Like you could do that, right? And it's like, well, that's not really. I, I think it's easy easy to get into the realm of because these are hard to conceptualize, maybe even impossible to conceptualize. Sure. These levels of wealth, you think, what are you even doing there? Like, how did you? How can you get there? One without mm-hmm. with your soul intact. And two, like, how is that even physically possible? I think those are the nor- the normal yeah. questions. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting idea. The Bible warns about drunkenness, for example, mm-hmm. and alcohol. Man, there's a pile of Proverbs that really warn you about alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, Jesus doesn't speak much about that. Yeah, for he, sure. He speaks about money. What do you think the difference is between the dangers of alcohol and the dangers of money? Why would Jesus talk a lot about one but not the other? Yeah. I don't – that's very interesting. I think um, people generally don't have misconceptions about alcohol. I think the person who is who is either – even if they're in the, the grasp of alcohol, mm-hmm. they could tell you that it makes them look like an idiot. I don't think there's many people who, who you know have many false ideas about that. Unless it's stuff like, oh, I, I know how to drive drunk. I can do that. Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But I mean about the nature of it. Um, maybe people who would say it's not morally wrong to drink. Or, or to be drunk versus people who do. That's maybe its own thing. But people could see money as, um, like we talked about, the freedom and the security. Uh, that could be a trap. The feeling, I'm I'm free. I'm secure. I have nothing to worry about because I have this money. And all you know, many of these passages about um, uh, you know, storing up treasure in heaven uh, don't have it here where uh, right. the moth can eat and the thief can steal, but have it where they can't do that. Um, and, and that these things replace the role of your reliance on, uh, Jesus in your life where alcohol, I think can't really, it can't, it can't trick you. I don't think you're not likely to worship alcohol. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You can be really, really addicted to it, but I I don't think you'll ever be tricked by it in that sense of thinking it's something that it's not. Yeah. Yeah. You might have even a lot, a strong affection for it Mm -hmm. and you might be incapable of living your life without it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I would think I'm guessing here, John, but you would have more compassion for the alcoholic than you would have for the greedy wealth monger. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like when you're talking about a vice, the alcohol is the vice. The money isn't necessarily the, the money is it's, it's, um, like one, if you're thinking about them as assets, one takes you down and one builds up. So it's like the guy, the, the, the wealthy is, is sitting on a mountaintop, you know, um, rhetorically. And the drunkard is down in a, in a ditch. Uh, how about this verse? Hebrews 13, five, 
keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So what's... What, what do you well, hear? Well, that, that's a big one for me because the the choice word there is not money. It's the love of money. Right. And that's the the uh, eternally misquoted verse. Uh, the love of money is the is a root of all kinds of evil. Yeah. And Mis- people misquote it as love or money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. So it's like epitomizing to the max. Right. Everything that's actually said in that verse. Yeah. Um, so money is not the root of all kinds of evil. Right. It is a root. The love of money. The love of money is a root. Is a root of all kinds of evil. Money's not a root. Mm-hmm. It's your affection for it. And here we're told to be free from that love of money mm-hmm. be, for, for a reason. Right. Because God has told you he'll never leave you or forsake you. So you don't need to love money because this thing you love money for, freedom, security, safety, God will provide for you. Yeah. And the big one, you know, the, the love of money, would that be... It seems like we're going to. We talked about the uh, um, the moral neutrality or not neutrality of money, if if it is moral or amoral. Right. This seems to imply that it is amoral, but it can. Um, but the love of it is idolatry, even. Or, or there you go. I, I think that would be true. You would say that wood is amoral, mm-hmm. but when I carve it into an idol and start to worship it, I've turned it into something. Right. And that would be the case uh, with money. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Yeah, no one can serve two masters. What would it be like to serve money? I think that's um, when you think about living your life on a mission, right? When you when you have a goal um, uh, or, or living your life to an end, to, to specifically, you know, or or um, the word I'm looking for is is escaping me, but but basically, you could call it discipleship. You could say I'm discipled to making money. That is that is what I'm shaping my life for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it sounds like. What it sounds like to me of, of serving the master of money. It would be how much can I grow my wealth physically before I die. That's like yeah, and it's what I'm all about. It's the scorecard, right? Exactly. That <laughs> I win or lose by by the. the and number. I have talked to a lot of people who, um are producing significant amounts of wealth. Mm-hmm. And they say, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just a scorecard. So uh, I do I do take the raises that I get because that's a statement of my performance. Hmm. And I do track my sales and the, per, the revenue that my sales is making because it's all a scorecard. Sure. But I don't care about it. Yeah. And I don't, you know, no, no. I don't have a person in mind when I say this, but is that even... Is that really possible to say it means nothing when we're talking about something this potent or this dangerous? Well, I would say uh, it is possible for it to not own you, to not mm-hmm. um, to really mean nothing in terms of your sense of self. That's where um, some people feel like they are a better person when they produce wealth. Mm. Well, I'm a better person. You know, I'm an important person. I, I produce a lot of wealth. Sure. I must. I must be a a useful productive thing because of this thing that I'm able to produce. Yeah. So you can get your identity in it. One of my favorite passages about money is first Timothy six, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing in the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now here's what I, and I've got this in my 
digital Bible highlighted in red. Those who who want to get rich fall, listen to this uh, language, mm-hmm. fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And this is, for the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. I think of a, how does a sheep get separated oh, yeah, from, yeah. The, from the flock, one clump of grass at a time. Yeah. Uh, uh, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Hmm. And it's, it's like there talking about trickery, you know, being tricked by the value of something. Uh, that seems very much led away by this pierced themselves. This is very um, um, violent. Yes. So falling, trapped, uh, plunged, so, ruin and destruction. So I guess my question is, what separates this from, we already said from things like a pile of dirt, but what separates it from uh, food or even or even stuff you know like sex? We talked about the power of that in your identity um, uh, or power. Why this specifically? Well, because it means so much in our world. If you have a lot of it, mm-hmm. you now have, uh, excuse me, you have social status. You have power and influence. Um, you know, James t- warns people, if you have uh, a poor person come in, don't give them the seat in the back of the room and oh, then tell sure. the rich person, hey, you come set up front. Right. So in this world, if you have money, you're going to get treated better. You're going to get privileges. You're going to get respect. Mm-hmm. People will fear you. People will think you're smarter than you actually are. <laughs> There's just a, a whole lot of perks to yeah. being the rich guy. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I've I've had you know years where I lived on nothing, you know, relatively speaking, right? And, to to our country and yeah, and yeah. years where I've had abundance, and abundance is better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> surprise. It's a it's better. So I don't think that that the scriptures would argue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is that it can be a trap because it can capture your affections. It can become your reason for being. It can become the source of your identity. It can become something you're willing to lie for, cheat for, hurt others for. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of power. It can be intoxicating. And Timothy's answer, Paul's answer to this, to Timothy. Right. Is but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good of fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So, uh, really, the best defense against consumption of money is an offensive, aggressive pursuit of God. Yeah. Because I find. When I'm flourishing spiritually and God means the most to me, money is nothing. Yeah. And if I'm not doing well spiritually, money gains in my sense of need for it, my insecurity about it, uh, my affection for it, whatever. Well, uh, I've got um, a few. When I was looking over verses for this, I I found a few where where I was finally like, um, because, again, I had thought, minimally about this so i have have more questions and more kind of okay my ahas uh before that let's do uh uh, you have a show and tell item for us today yeah and after that we'll uh, do our commercial break and 
and wrap it up. Sounds good. The thing I want to show and tell today is um, I'm going to say uh, eight and a half by 11, basically like a sheet of paper. Sure. It's uh, thin. I'm going to say quarter inch thick. Yeah, maybe less than that. Yeah. But um, around there. Yeah, maybe a little less than a quarter inch thick. Um, it is, uh, I have a, um, a a cover on it that's kind of a uh, fabric, what would you call that? that? Felt almost? No, it's not felt because it's, it's like uh, almost denim-y. Denim. Hmm. denim I don't know. <laughs> denim <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's like, like fabric, like cloth. Anyway. Uh, and this this thing is electric. You push a button and turn it on. It's basically a tablet. It's basically a tablet, but it is the most remarkable thing I have ever used in my life. And Technology it, wise, yes. And ironically, it's called the remarkable. <laughs> and it is uh, what I love about it. Now, um, it it is a handwriting. It's basically a legal pad with limitless digital pages. You can make mm-hmm. folders, notebooks. You can download ebooks in there and mark up your books. You can import PDFs, sign uh, documents, and send them back out. Dang. You can transcribe your handwriting to type and send it out as an email. Uh, it's just amazing. Um you you and I both uh, for a long time have been very analog in our kind of daily navigating. Mm-hmm. Uh, we carry around leather journals. We like to write out our thoughts, um, uh, scribble, uh, doodle. I doodle. Doodle. I that, that's doodle. the word I was looking mm-hmm. for. And um, this thing is the perfect marriage of analog and digital into one device. And I just can't, I just can't brag about it enough. The reason I found it is, uh, your sister was given one as a gift, and she brought it to the house, and I was instantly in love, and uh, I ordered one. It's crazy, and I know, like, like iPads, they have those little pens that you can, you can technically write on those. Yeah, it's not the same. It is. This feels like you're writing on paper. It's really, really crazy. I drew on it. I drew. I spent a lot of time just messing around with it. Um, it reminds me. Do you know those uh, kids' toys? There's like it's like a little like an etch a sketch. Yeah, but it's there's ones that have like a um, a bunch of uh, basically hectagons together, and, and you push on it, it's like kind of like a squishy surface, and it like draws with a pen, hmm. and then you can like shake or, or not shake it up, but like rub it out. It's it's a weird. Oh, I've not seen that. It's a very mechanical version of this for kids' toys. For them, them to doodle on, it comes with a pen that's like tied to the thing with a rope. Oh yeah, and uh, it's this is like the Star oh, Trek yeah, version. Oh yeah, yeah, of that. yeah. That's yeah. an etch sketch, bro. No, etch sketch has the two little knobs. It also has a pencil. Uh uh-uh. uh Etch sketch is just the knobs. Oh, okay. And, and well, then I'm thinking of the one with the pencil. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, and um, but I've had people look at this and say, "Oh, it's a it's an adult etch sketch." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> funny. And here's the deal: I ordered it. Then immediately felt guilty for ordering it. See mm-hmm. discussion on money and yeah. uh, toys. And so I canceled my order. Oh, wow. And got an email confirmation and the refund of my charge to cancel the order. And then I get two weeks later a notice from the delivery company. Your, your remarkable will be delivered today. Oh, no. And I'm like, what? 
So uh, <laughs> it got delivered, and they have a two-week. You can use it, turn it back if you don't want it. So I thought, sure. well, I'll play with it for the two weeks and then decide. I haven't even had it for two weeks yet, and I am absolutely hooked. It is organizing my life. It's it's really awesome. And as for usual, we get no kickback. Nope. This um, is a... But go check out Remarkable.com, I think it is. And uh, check it out. Watch some YouTube videos on it. It's it's pretty pretty amazing. Neat. All right. Uh, we will uh, go through our commercial break real quick, and we will see you guys in a few minutes or a minute. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash Jim and John. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. Okay, welcome back. Uh, thank you again for listening, uh, as always. Yeah, really grateful. Really grateful for our, uh, our community. Um, okay, so uh, talking about this, it's funny that you bring up the, the remarkable because I have... Um, I don't, I won't underplay the means that I have, the comfort that I have. I have a great car that runs. Just got Lindsay a new car. We just got an espresso machine that I talked about last time, but we're in a, an apartment in in the lower <laughs> middle class bracket. Yeah. And I still feel all kinds of guilt for just, for just existing with our, with my comforts. Really? Uh huh. Your apartment is smaller than the deck in my backyard, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's I'm so cozy. We have a nice leather couch. Did I put a some nice kind bed? of martyr complex on you? I don't know. But point being, I have a lot of this kind of comfort guilt. That's interesting. And I don't know how much of it is money based and how much of it is martyr based is, is suffering based all the language of suffering in the new Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we suffer in the name of Christ who suffered like, like really, right. really high language stuff. And if I'm not suffering, you know, none of those verses, it's hard, it's hard to connect. It's like when David's always writing in the Psalms about how much his enemies are persecuting him for no reason. And I'm like, well, I haven't experienced a lot of that. I've right. experienced the own consequences of my own actions. So it's hard for me to yeah. relate to those. Psalms. So when the scripture says we, we, we complete in our body, the sufferings of Christ that we might also participate in his resurrection. You're right. Like, mm. Yeah. It's like, do I not get to, pres- I don't miss a meal. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Do I not get to participate in the resurrection because I didn't suffer? Enough? Right. And that's kind of adjacent conversation. But in a country as prosperous, uh, prosperous as ours, um, how do you deal with that? I guess without with, with the constant messaging of sell all you own, give it to the poor, and you will be perfect, and you and you can come with me. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Mm-hmm. When my dad died. Uh, I was 16 years old. He died in September, September 19th. And he had taken four of his possessions and told mom on Christmas Eve, we always opened our gifts on Christmas Eve, uh-huh. 
after everybody's opened their gifts, give the kids these four gifts. And he told who to give what to. And he gave me his watch. And I remember uh, wearing that watch. And it was gold. Uh, but it meant so but much it, to me. It was nicer, not like leather band or anything. No, was... gold band, gold. And it had three three of the, the let's see, the, uh, the, the 12, the 9, and the 6 were diamonds. Hmm. And the three was the date, little hole. And um, I felt there was a time in college where I, as a spiritual discipline, took the watch off, put it in a, in a drawer and didn't wear it for a month. Hmm. Because I wondered if it meant too much to me. Sure. And I think uh, for um, people will say, you know, People in Africa live on $200 a year. Right. Why do you need 40000 And uh, the answer is I don't live over there. <laughs> you can't actually live here for only $200. Well, you can't. And, um, and you don't need to compare yourself with how people are living anywhere else in the world. The question is how do I steward the life I have where I do live? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, how, and am I this assessment? Am I loving money too much? Am I willing to let go of it? I think when 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 I have the alcohol conversation with young Christians, can't I drink? Yeah, can you not drink? <laughs> sure. And if they're like, no, I can't not drink. This is a principle for me, and I won't give it up. Well, then you have a you have a an idolatrous relationship with it. Mm-hmm. So I do think money is very similar in that regard. Gotcha. If you can enjoy. Uh, if you can enjoy it without being owned by it and you're willing to let go of it anytime Jesus puts his finger on it or you see a need and you need to meet it, then I think you're okay. And uh, so this was the one. That one had been bothering me for a little bit. I'll have to re- do more research into a martyr complex, see what that's about. <laughs> uh, but but what got me today kind of preparing for for this conversation was uh, – um, some passages. And we've I've talked about how this was an aha about the parable of the the sower. And the seeds and, and, uh, in Luke's version, his wording of the, uh, thorns, uh, yeah. in that parable is, uh, you know, the pleasures of this world and, uh, and, and the deceitfulness of wealth. Yeah. And, uh, how things, you know, all the parable is roughly the same, but the way he words it is pleasurable, good things, mm. uh, can choke out the seed of, of, you know, the word of God in your life. And, uh, um, and this was kind of similar, uh, here, Jesus again in Luke, this is Luke twelve fifteen. Uh, he's talking to this guy who wants Jesus to uh, solve his will prob- squabbles with his brother. He said, oh, yeah. get my brother to share the inheritance. Share the inheritance with me. And he says, he says, that's not, I'm not doing that. He says, it's not my job. And then he says, uh, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Uh, and again, in Luke, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's a little more common. But the possessions I realized... Um, I do really love possessions. I don't have, I don't go for crazy nice things all the time. I'm content with a lot of chill stuff. Um, but I love my stuff. I love, I I think the reason I was, I feel guilty sometimes is because of how much, um, I've made the word I'm looking for is kind of, again, escaping me, but, but, uh, peace I find, uh, uh, just in my den, you know, surrounded by your, stuff. surrounded by my stuff. Exactly. 
So it's not necessarily that I have to drive a nice car kind of stuff, but that I really do find a lot of gratification. That's the word I'm looking for. Gratification in some of the stuff I have. Um, and that that could potentially be, uh, again, in the same way, money is not necessarily evil. This stuff is not necessarily evil, but the danger of the thorns in the seed that they choke out, uh, or at the very least can distract uh, now, from this work. Do you, do you remember the exact wording of that? I, I want to hear the, the verse cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm not clicking with what you're saying uh, directly to the verse. So I want to, sure. I want to hear the verse. Do you, do you remember yeah, what it yeah, says? I, I got it here. So this is uh, Luke eight. And again, this parable uh, is at least in three of the gospels. I don't remember if it's in John, right, or not, but, right. but uh, this is the Luke, wording. the Luke, the Luke wording. So uh, uh, Jesus describes the parable of the, of the seeds. And then he explains it to his uh, disciples. And he says, uh, the seeds are, uh, well, I won't just get to the third one, the weeds. Okay. The, the thorns is this one is again in this. Oh, so it uses thorns instead of weeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seed. So he's explaining what each stage was. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Okay. They're choked out. Choked so, out. so there's a growth that begins that and gets, as, and as they go along, it is choked out yeah. by riches yeah. Uh, worries worries and pleasures yeah and not in that order but yeah so that was the that the, the, the realization that um a pleasurable thing that is again not inherently sinful in, right. a, in a vacuum right can um choke out the work or the maturing is again this this wordage the maturing of um god's work in your life yeah and so your question is is that happened to me sometimes because i like to sit in my room and be surrounded by my stuff yeah, and by I mean by consequence that that is what money affords me. That is what when I think about what money means to me, I think that is generally it. It's it's the things that I want out of life. I have I have a few things. Um, if I had unlimited money, what would I do? And one of them is this jacket I'm wearing right now. I would fix the leather on this thing. I would take it to some kind of specialist tanner or something, have him replace the leather. Weird stuff like that. Because I think it'd be which cool. you could do for a hundred dollars. Yeah, but I'm not going to drop a hundred bucks on that. Who cares? Not unless I had <laughs> limitless money. That's what I'm saying. You know, I don't know. Do, 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 does it click now that we've, we've gone over the wording? It, it does. Okay. And, and it made me think of James four, four. It says you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Hmm. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So there's a question. The way I would word your question is, are there affections that are just too strong? Hmm. It's it's you know it's okay to 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 love good food and to uh, really like my house and yeah. I love that I get to live here. You know, uh, we live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. Yeah, and uh, is it fair that we live in a beautiful part? <laughs> why you know <laughs> why I don't move we to Death to Valley, Carrie, New Mexico, or yeah, you know. Just to uh, suffer for And God. I love Tucumcari, New Mexico, by the way. Oh, okay. So if you're from Tucumcari, <laughs> we saw recently in our stats, we have we have listeners in 30 states. And oh, so, nice. Uh, maybe, I don't remember if New Mexico is one of them. I think it is. But if you're in Tucumcari, we, I love Tucumcari. We actually vacationed there a couple of times. Some guy's going to email address me, tucumcariproud at gmail.com. <laughs> I can't believe that. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think that uh, the question is, you know, does it mean too much to you? Yeah. 
And again, I think the only way you know is if it's being asked to, to let go of it. And if you wouldn't, if you couldn't do it, yeah, I just can't do it. All right, so you then, had you had a couple. Go ahead. Well, no, th- this is basically it. This is okay. In my uh, then the natural. It's the the Africa thing where it's well, I really don't want to be a missionary in Africa. I should probably do that to prove that I right. that I have that open. So so then is it? Do I just get rid of this stuff to prove that I hold it lightly? Or no, the answer is no. I don't think so. You you know if I if I offer it to God, He's going to take it. Is what you you can you can tend to think. <laughs> well, no, it's 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 for me. It's an insecurity of knowing if I know what God wants me to do, and to be safe, I should just do the thing I don't want to do. do. That crazy radical thing. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder because when we talk about the rich young ruler, and God said, if, Jesus said to him, "If you want to really be perfect, yeah, sell all you have, give it to the poor, um, discover treasure in heaven, and follow me." Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny how nobody believes that Jesus is saying to anybody but that cat, sell it all. <laughs> yeah. Is it really possible that that's the only guy on earth Jesus would say? In the sell history it all? of the earth. In the history of the earth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's a, I think there's a open handedness. I, I can't remember where the scripture is, but it pops in my mind that says um, that God has given us all things to enjoy. Mm-hmm. There is no sin in enjoying the blessings of God that he's given you. In fact, there's a scripture that says he'll take the wealth of the wicked, he'll give it to the righteous, and he'll add no sorrow to it. Hmm. So uh, prosperity is not a bad thing. Yeah, um, Wealth is not a bad thing. Poverty is not a virtue. Um, at the end of the day, does God want you to be rich or poor? He couldn't care less. Yeah. He wants you to steward what he's entrusted to you for him. And he wants everything you own to be his. And you are, it has been, it has been entrusted to you as a stewardship. At the end of the day, you don't have anything. God has it all. Mm-hmm. And he has entrusted you to manage it for him. And I think that's where the slippery slope is when you start thinking about, because Jesus told the parable of the, of the farmer who had this abundant crop. Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger barns, I'll store all my goods in those barns, and then I'll say to myself, hey, self, eat, drink, and be merry, uh, for, you know, you have abundance. Yeah. And Jesus says, you fool, do you not know that your life will be required of you this very night? And then who's going to enjoy all the things you stored up? Yeah. So it's about, and, and he goes on to say, you should say instead, if the Lord wills, we will go to this town and start this business and build these bards. So it's about walking in the will of God with sensitivity to his lordship over you that, Hey, Hey Lord, I just got a, I just got a bonus. It's your bonus, Lord. What would you like to do with it? Yeah. That's kind of that attitude. I think, uh, if I had to take away for this, it would be, um, thinking of the, my favorite, maybe uh role that Jesus plays in, in, you know, changing the entire game of your relationship with God. And this particular instance, it wasn't um, changing the nature of it. It was just um, showing people at the time what they were doing wrong. So the Pharisees with uh, their tithing, you know, how they tithe everything. We don't just tithe right. our money. We tithe our time, our food, our spices, our spices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everything. And, and that's not the point. So this pressure that I can feel um, is not, uh, necessarily of God. I think not to say the conviction of the spirit isn't a thing 
in in a lot of cases. But the the pressure. What if I'm doing this wrong? What if I'm you know, as long as you are uh, nailed, mm-hmm. as long as you're subservient, you mm-hmm. you you're you have things in perspective, um, and not to downplay again any conviction you might rightly feel, but the the pressure or the paranoia of, um, well I I haven't given enough money away. You know, and there are some things that that's true. The tithe is is pretty cut and dry financially, right? If you're not, because Jesus said, He said you've neglected these other matters of mercy and love and kindness, mm-hmm. and you should do the latter, but without neglecting the former. So, right, keep tithing, yeah, but do this too. So, but, but those are, I guess, the the paranoia is what is what doesn't need to be there because of the peace that you can now feel with your relationship with God. You have the uh, your steward over what He's given you. And beyond that, you don't need to worry about it that much. It's his stuff, like you said. Yeah. I think that takes a huge weight off your shoulders. You know, as you know, Psalm 23 has been a huge passage for me this year. Uh, it's been carrying me along personally for the whole COVID year. And uh, what does it say there? You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Mm-hmm. He restores my soul. Uh, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And that table is a picture of an abundant feast. God takes care of us. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. God knows how to take care of his people. And I think he really enjoys blessing believers with abundance who have open hands as well. And they don't consider themselves a reservoir. They consider themselves a resource. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, I think that there's just great joy that should come from participating in money. If you go the way you're thinking, you know, it's tempted it's tempting to make money a burden to you. Sure. And I don't think God wants it to be a burden. He wants you to be free from it, both the love of it and the burden of it, and it just be a part of your life that you steward with enthusiasm and joy rather than with fear or uh arrogance. And that's why uh you know, that that Timothy line warns about that and how simple your life is without it. In right. that in that sense, right. not not again in poverty, but uh, with with having clothes and food and being content with that, that yeah. your your walk there is so much more simple. Yeah, um, yeah. I hope this was this was helpful to me. I hope it was helpful to somebody listening. Uh, it was kind of money on mass, like the entire conversation of money at once. Yeah, but. It, it lacked a laser focus, but it's good to think about these broad categories and just to assess our own hearts about how do I feel about money and what does money really mean to me? Yeah. And have I subjugated money to the Lordship of Jesus or does money rule its own self and I'm, I need to bring some governance yeah. to it? And I, and yeah, a lot of that, you could just talk about sovereignty. Am I just wanting Jesus to come along for the ride with me? <laughs> While I tell us how to well, how we're going to spend our money, yeah, or is it is it the other way around? Yeah, hey, thanks for listening. We are super grateful. As always, you can check out our website, uh, jimandjohn.com, dot com. No, Jim and John. You can email us at info at jimandjohn dot com. And uh, we appreciate your listening. Tell a friend, share the episode with somebody if you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to episode ninety one, John. Yeah, episode ninety one. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you.